The Inside Learning Podcast is brought to you by the Learnovate Center. Learnovate's research explores the power of learning to unlock human potential. Find out more about Learnovate's research on the science of learning and the future of work at learnovatecenter.org. In his 2007 TED Talk, Sir Ken Robinson, well-known advisor on education in the arts, spoke about the decline in creative confidence. He shared how, when kindergarten students were asked, who wants to be an artist? The majority of hands fly up. But by high school, that cheerful endorsement of the arts as a career path dwindles down to less than a quarter of the students. Welcome to Inside Learning, brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. I'm your host, Aid McCullen, and it is a great pleasure to welcome a leader who was on a mission to drive more creativity into every aspect of life. We welcome the author of The Creativity Leap, Unleash Curiosity, Improvisation and Intuition at Work, Natalie Nixon. Welcome to Inside Learning. Hi, Aidan. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to have you on the show. You pose the question in your book that perhaps creativity feels so inaccessible because it can be such an ambiguous process. It is not formulaic, you say. It is complex. And it's that lack of rote step-by-step approach that can make it really uncomfortable for people. But it doesn't have to be that way. No, not at all. I, I think part of it is the complexity, the, the innate ambiguity in any creative process and you know, an emphasis on the word process. Creativity really invites us. Well, you know, I think of it as a competency and it's a competency that we can exercise that invites us to err on the side of process instead of being fixated on a solution. And even your initial reference to Sir Ken Robinson uh, speaks to, I think, one of the culprits of why we don't embrace designing in time and space to be more intentionally creative. It has to do with the way a lot of us were educated. Um, We tend to be, it's, it's only in the more kind of privileged educational environments where there people teachers allow students to engage in process ask a ton of questions be much more exploratory embrace experimentation and those are all of the capabilities that help us to to build our creativity competency but yeah cre- creativity is by default an ambiguous process and you know i was over the and i know I'm, I'm taking a minute to answer your even your first question but i just wanted to share i i was watching over the weekend on netflix um, a, a, a program, I think it's called the billion dollar code or the billion dollar solution, something like that. But it, it, it it's basically the Germans uh, version of, of Google earth. And it was two in, young innovators who came upon an algorithm. It's called the billion dollar code. And there's a moment in their conversation where they, they're young they, they're full of ideas. They get funding from um, the, the German telecom company to, to try to, Deutsche Telekom, to try to launch their first prototype, which is going to cost about a million dollars because it's this particular type of technology they need. And there's a line that they say that really struck me. Um, Casper, one of the main characters, says, isn't that what innovation is about? Not knowing how to do something. And he says this in, in their pitch to, to Deutsche Telekom. And I love that because he's right. That innovation comes as a result of not knowing how to do something. Innovation comes as a result of being totally uncertain 
about which step we should take next, and therefore we have to be completely exploratory. And I love this about your history. Your background is very much an innovation one. Innovation happens at the intersections, and you have multiple intersections that combine to offer the what you do to the world. And you tell us in your book, in your years as a college professor and developing a strategic design MBA program, you fell in love with the design thinking process. And you use that then to navigate an ambiguous world, one that you just mentioned there. Yeah, design thinking was one of the early mindsets and toolkits that was the beginning of a place for me where I, I like to say I, 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 there was a hook upon which I could hang my hat, right? Where I felt a bit more at home because design thinking really embraces a very integrative approach. We start first with empathy and really trying to be, walk in the, in the shoes of the people who we're serving, who we're building these products and services for. It really values lateral thinking, going beyond your own norms and looking at near and far adjacent sectors and understanding, well, how do they approach XYZ in their world and what can we bring bring over to the way to the problem that we're grappling with. It also really values prototyping, which goes back to this idea of experimentation, rough draft, ugly mock-ups of a thing. And then it also really values story and storytelling. And um, because stories uh, bring out the human elements in each of us and helps us to connect on a more humane level. So design thinking was was something that I experimented with in terms of an MBA program and, and was a big part of, of creating and launching the strategic design MBA program um, at Thomas Jefferson University. So let's jump back to a former version of Natalie a few years, maybe a good few years before that. I want to read out this. Natalie is a delight and is making good progress in the second grade. However, <laughs> she tends to daydream out of the window a bit too much. That was your elementary school report. And yes. I emphasize that because very few of us take the opportunity to daydream. Very few of us allow the opportunity to wonder if we were to walk in and see our boss staring out the window daydreaming or wondering, we'd probably go, oh, isn't it well for you? But this is such an important aspect in progress that we need this time to wonder to to balance out the rigor that's involved in creation. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I'm a big fan of taking daydream breaks. And the daydream break might last 90 seconds. If you have more time available to you during your busy workday, maybe you can afford a five-minute daydream break or a 15-minute daydream break. But the important thing is to take the break to daydream. Be very intentional about it. I literally use the timer on my phone uh, so that I, because I, as as it was evidenced by my childhood, I want to just daydream the afternoon away. I love it. But use prompts such as clouds, you know, just kind of floating across the sky, or uh, an ant crawling on the sidewalk. But we need to give our brains the ability for the neural synapses in different regions of the brain to ignite and to interconnect, not just that frontal lobe. And what I find is every time I come back from a daydream break to the work at hand, I come back to my work much more refreshed, much more energized. And sometimes I have these wonderful aha moments because I've allowed for that toggling in my brain to, 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 um, to allow for the frontal lobe to, to give, to get a bit of a rest. Let's marry that your experience, your 
background in teaching, your background in your own education itself. And let's link it back to the Ken Robinson speech, because you've said this in your book, and we probably all experienced it, and we probably see it with children today. You say exploration is cut short by the need for expediency. Rapid response solutions are rewarded. And you tell us the root of the problem lies in our educational systems, even before we have shown up in our first jobs. Many of us have been taught to be very good at having the one right answer, and we're cautioned never to go outside the lines. And this is the root of what we see later with a lack of innovation and a lack of creativity and a lack of the ability to navigate a world that's ambiguous. You know, it was really striking to me that in that film I just referenced, The Billion Dollar Code, the progenitors of this algorithm that became the model for Google Earth later, um, one was an artist, studied, an art student actually, the other was a coder. And there's also another line in the film, it's actually a series, but there's another line in one of the episodes where they proclaim that coders will be the artists in the future. And I love that because, um, you know, music is a form of code. Code is your ability to think in the abstract. And I just love any any opportunity to think a bit more expansively about our strident definitions. So, you know, while I don't only think about creativity in terms of art and the arts or or as only being the domain of artists, I really have always admired and respected Sir Ken Robinson's work because he was he was such an advocate of really making sure that we did not forsake that th that investment in arts education and the studio model of learning because he his work really showed us that there we there's a direct solid bolt line between our depth of understanding and skill set and development and drawing and painting and dance and music and better cognition in mathematics and being able to think more abstractly and more critically. And so um, any opportunity we have in our educational systems to think more broadly and to really uh, be the last holdout, especially for the arts, we're only going to see, we're only going to see huge benefits in what we consider more the hardcore subjects that we that we invest a lot more dollars and time and so the sciences for example um we're a lot more interested in big data these days but also obviously being really strong in literature and history and those sorts of subjects as well one of the things from reading your book and listening to you say that now comes to mind is the idea that we're almost coached to stay in our swim lane rather than explore the entire pond and you highlight this skill called boundary spanning. And you say it's extremely important in the future of learning as well as the future of work because they're so intertwined. And you say it's the ability to bridge chasms and gaps to have conversations across disciplines and to connect silos. Boundary spanning is also extremely important in building a community where creativity can thrive. Yes. Boundary spanning is something we only gain with uh, perspective. And there's a couple of ways. I'll give two examples of how we gain perspective in our lives. One way we gain perspective is through aging, right? The older we get, the more we understand because there's there's more time behind us of what really matters, of you know different choices we might have made, different responses we might have had. But the other way we gain perspective 
is sometimes through the unfortunate circumstances of being on the margins, of being the outcast, of being because of ageism or racism or sexism or or hypernationalism. If we are a foreigner living in a, in a in a in a different country, we actually can convert those experiences into assets. And it allows us to span boundaries. It allows us to understand also how blurred the boundaries that we try to make super strict and um, clear. It's often only when we have either time behind us or we have been on the margins that we are much better at boundary spanning. And that is what ultimately can build community. You know, I always like to remind people that the tribes matter. Tribes are important. Because tribes give us identity, they're what ground us, and that really matters. And at the same time, the best communities are made up of multiple tribes that are able to interconnect and intersect because of people who've had all sorts of experiences that allow them to be better boundary spanners, connect the dots with others who may be different from them, and who who are very curious and that curiosity that that comes up so many times within your book and i highly recommend your book you talk about the 3 i framework etc but i wanted to focus for our chat now on education because you say in order to re- leverage our creativity in this fourth industrial revolution we need a shift away from learning to work and towards working to learn and in other words you say the future of work is the future of learning and you predict this new working to learn orientation will bring about a return of the apprenticeship model, one that engages people from a range of ages in on-the-job experiential learning. This is a huge shift away from the mindset that we've become used to over the last decades. Yeah, well, we've had a model in the last decades that's been very siloed, um, where you 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 we you, we've approached our lives in terms of distinct chunks. <laughs> you have a chunk where you learn and then you learn all you need to know and then you go work and then you worked and then you retire. And that's not how most people's lives are at all anymore. And actually your work is much more interesting if you have the opportunity to continuously learn as you are on the job and can continuously improve. And so that different model of an apprenticeship that I reference is one that I foresee where there'll be a lot of interesting strategic partnerships between educational institutions. And I don't think we're going to see educational institutions that look the way they look today, um, part because of the the cost of, of higher ed. They're going to need to venture out and partner strategically with the public, other members of the public sector, with private sector. And frankly, private sector needs the the the, the new perspectives and mindsets of both the educators and uh, the students and apprentices won't be just young people. They will uh, span across all ages because learning will not happen only at times when we um, are, are young people. Learning will continue to happen and it, it, will, it will be rewarded. That that I mean, we we keep hearing um, these terms like upskilling and reskilling. Well, these aren't just necessary frameworks, frames of mind for this fourth industrial revolution, it's actually going to be quite, quite normalized. And I'll just share a, a short anecdote. I, I am a, a devotee of dance. I've been dancing since I was four years old. I studied modern dance for most of, most of up through my 20s. That was really my focus area. Now I would branch out a bit into to jazz and then much more into hip hop. And now 
Um, I am a devotee of ballroom dance. And I was at a lesson last night and I had to show up um, having, you know, really, I wanted to really impress my teacher that I really mastered this, this short choreography that we were working on. And, and it was great about how we do the lesson. And then, because he's such a great teacher, his name is Nodari, he began to reverse engineer all of these small sections of the piece, like two counts of eight and how I need to be, be planting my foot on the ball of my foot, not on the heel, where my weight need to be. And we practice, it's a cha-cha that we're working on. And so we practice like, how do you actually, where does, where does the swivel of the, of the body actually initiate from? I mean, by the, by the end of the lesson, I felt completely dressed down in a good way. You know, it wasn't like I was humiliated, but it was like, I was like, wow, I showed up to the class thinking, okay, I've mastered something. And by the end, I was like, back in kindergarten, like I, I have a whole new slew of details to remember. So one of the things about what I call being a clumsy student of something helps us to do is it helps us to, to be humble and to always be learning. You know, one of the things that I can say about dance and dance education is that you learn very quickly, you never arrive. Like even when you're doing a movement called the releve, which you're standing on the balls of your feet and your arms are raised up against above your head and you're stretching, 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 even there physically, you never arrive. And so just keeping that phrase, that mindset, that reality, contending with that reality in mind, it helps to just level your expectations so that you walk, so it helps me, I'll speak for myself, helps me to level my expectations so that every new circumstance I walk into, I'm humbled. I realize that as soon as I think I've mastered something, there's going to be a new set of minutiae for me to learn that will only make me better. I guess that's one of the main points you talk about in your book is, is changing your mindset, changing how society looks at people, how it welcomes people, how it welcomes failure in the, in the pursuit of new knowledge, etc. Natalie, for people who want to find you, I know you're a prolific keynote speaker, you run workshops, you're an advisor. Where can people find out more about your work and your book? Yes, thank you. They can go to figure8thinking.com. That's F-I-G-U-R-E, the number eight thinking.com. And yes, exactly. They can learn a lot about the, the types of keynotes I give, the advisory work I do, the foresight studios I lead. And, um, you know, I have a deck of cards. I have a, a, a podcast. I have an online course. Would love for people to play around on the website and um, for them to stay in touch. And Natalie, if you had, if you're stuck in a lift with our audience, which is a learning audience, it's people who work in the field, the startups, it's people who are scale-ups, it's people who are teachers and those teaching teachers, what would be your message for society with regards learning and education of the future? Uh, I think I just borrowed from what I, the anecdote I just shared, which is we never arrive. And that's a good thing. We always have something new to learn. We never arrive. Author of The Creativity Leap, Unleash Curiosity, Improvisation and Intuition at Work, Natalie Nixon. Thank you for joining us on Inside Learning with thanks to Learnerate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Next on the Inside Learning podcast, we welcome corporate learning expert with the Learnovate Center, Frank O'Reilly. Frank has worked for over 20 years in a range of industries, both in Ireland and abroad, for companies as diverse as Pizza Hut to Burberry. Frank, 
Welcome to Inside Learning. I'm delighted to be here, Aidan, and talking about learning and development. It's great to have you on the show. And we both listened to Natalie Nixon's thoughts there. And many of those thoughts resonated a lot with you, particularly in what you're seeing in your work in Learnovate. Some of the skills she mentioned, 21st century skills, such as lifelong learning, growth mindset, and many, many more. I'd love to know your thoughts on what you reflected on after listening to Natalie. I think it was a really interesting podcast because I think she gives a very good insight into creativity and how to encourage creativity among organizations, you know, and, and overcoming the issue that people have with creativity, where they think it's either something you innately have or that you don't have. And I think there's plenty of research out there proving that creativity is something we're all capable of. And it's about having the right mindset, having the right tools, techniques, but also having somebody who can maybe facilitate that creative process within your organization. Uh, And it's something that we work with many organizations, you know, all the time in terms of trying to help them adopt a creative innovative approach to the kind of challenges that they're facing, particularly in relation to learning and development within their particular organization. And I think what's interesting in in Natalie's approach is is that she strikes a very good balance between the need for, as as she describes it, wonder, you know, where you need that kind of imaginative, out-of-the-box thinking where you ask those, you know, how might we questions, looking at what seems impossible and, and how you could imagine it. But also she balances that with the need for what she calls rigor what we would loosely call the kind of techniques and the tools that we use when we're working with clients to help them innovate and and find creative solutions to the problems they're facing. And the kind of techniques and tools I'm talking about are, are things like design thinking that Natalie refers to, prototyping, you know, where you go through an iterative process of trying to mock up, it could be a framework, it could be a, a technical wireframe solution for something. But also there's the tools we use, which are carefully facilitated solution workshops and we also do jobs to be done as a process to try and clearly identify the problems and the challenges that our clients are facing and have a some kind of a a, a framework a process or, or a scaffolding that allows them to sort of uh, you know begin their journey on that creative road to to innovation when we think of jobs to be done There's a lot of jobs to be done when it comes to education and enhancing creativity and encouraging creativity, because unfortunately, the education system has often stamped out creativity and not on purpose in schools, for example. And this is something that I'd love your thoughts on is the burgeoning need for creativity or the realization that creativity is essential for business and job creation but also sustaining innovation within organizations and society itself. Absolutely, Aidan. I think that whole issue of trying to match how we educate people in the 21st century, be it from primary, post-primary and third level in Ireland, how we educate those, those students 
so that they have the skills that they need to move seamlessly into the workforce is one of the issues that we look at regularly and on an ongoing basis in the Learnovate Centre, because it's clear that when we talk to people in learning and development, or even in HR or at sea level in multinational organizations, a topic that regularly comes up is, is what could be identified as that skills gap, that people are coming out of education at third level with degrees, with masters, with very well-recognized and very valuable qualifications. But there's a mismatch in terms of the kind of skills that they need to thrive in the 21st century workforce. And they are those kind of softer transversal skills around communication, about critical thinking, about problem solving, uh, about collaborative working practices. And I think it's, it's, it's a really interesting challenge trying to introduce that in an effective way into the education system is, is one of the biggest challenges that the education system is facing. But I do think there's many institutions, many people working in the education sector, uh, you know, right at the front line. I've come across numerous teachers who are genuinely passionate about introducing creativity, critical thinking, and those kind of problem-solving techniques into their curriculum. And I think, you know, there's definitely some signs of, of initiatives that are out there that are looking to try and improve the way education approaches that whole notion of creativity. So I think, you know, th things are changing, maybe not at the speed some of us would like, or even the speed we probably need in the modern world, but there's definitely some signs of hope out there. Well, that's a, a positive way to leave it, Frank. And Frank, for people who want to find out more about your work and their jobs to be done, where can they find you? Contact us on our website, learnovatecenter.org, where you can have a look through the kind of projects we, we work on, on on an ongoing basis. And you'll find out how to contact us if you're interested in working with us on any of the challenges you're facing in your organization. And that's it for another episode of the Inside Learning Podcast brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. Thanks to our guest from Learnovate, corporate learning expert with the Learnovate Centre, Frank O'Reilly. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Aidan. And thanks to you too, our audience, for joining us. And until next time, take care. Inside Learning is brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. Learnovate is funded by Enterprise Ireland and IDA Ireland. Visit learnovatecentre.org to find out more about our research on the science of learning and the future of work.